My father, a homosexual deep in the closet, died in 1972 at age 45 without coming out. I was 20. My dad's brother never lived in the closet. When eight years old, I asked my uncle why he never married. I'm homosexual. Okay, no big deal. That explained it. Good information to have. Growing up, I knew I was different. I never approached being a jock. I had friends who were girls. I never played ball with my dad. He got manicures. I didn't understand masculine and feminine. In my first year of college in 1969, I took a course in the social psychology of sex roles, opening my eyes to women's lib, my place in gender identity, and introducing me to long-lasting friends and partners. Is that gravitational pull? I didn't yet know about my dad. On September 11th, yes, that 9-11, I met Michelle Horvath at a conference in Reno, Nevada. We both lived in upstate New York, and since we couldn't fly or rail home, we rented a car and drove home together. We bonded during those several days, became close friends. My boy, Mike Funk, died the following year. Michelle, her husband, and two children came to the memorial service. Several years ago, Michelle told me that all was transitioning. We spoke about her love for her children and grief at losing a daughter. Michelle adjusted. O expressed an interest in recording a conversation for my podcast about transitioning. Honored and trusted only begin to express my emotions at this opportunity. Welcome to Health Hats, the podcast. I'm Danny Van Leeuwen, a two-legged cisgender old white man of privilege who knows a little about a lot of health care and a lot about very little. We will listen and learn about what it takes to adjust to life's realities in the awesome circus of health care. Let's make some sense of all of this. While preparing for this conversation, O said, For the podcast, I'd like to be referred to as O, O Horvath. The pronouns I use are they, them, theirs. I use their terms to describe my gender identity, non-binary, transgender, queer. I refer to my experience as transition, but I'm also okay with other language to describe it, like gender journey. It's a little cheesy, but I appreciate that it isn't linear. Other language that might be relevant that I use often, queer community, LGBTQ plus community, top surgery, trans-inclusive, trans-affirming healthcare, trans and gender non-conforming people. I confess I'm working on using the pronouns, using they, their, them when speaking of one person. I'm having to learn that. I don't understand all the identity labels and meaning. I hope to learn. Let's dive right in. Oh, Horvath. 
Thank you so much for joining me. I love seeing you. So you happy know, to be here, I was here, just Danny. trying to think the other day, like when we met, and I'm thinking it was November of 2002. When, I was very young. Yes, at, at my son Mike's memorial service. Your mom, who I had just become friends with, appeared with all of you, the whole family at the service. Oh, my God. I was so moved. She didn't call and ask or ask for directions or like where to stay or anything. You guys showed up and it moved me. And I really, anyway, thank you. I know you meant, she's amazing like that, but I know you meant a lot to her as well, that you formed a relationship in a uh, really frightening time. And you were like a, a guardian angel to her too. Yeah. And we've, we've hung together and we've talked at least once a year, often more often, but yeah, anyway. So I'm just, I'm just so curious. I'm not a person who has like a really solid frame of reference for transition. I do know people who have transitioned or are in the process of transitioning. I can't say I'm close and I can't say I felt the license to be nosy. I, I think that's a good policy. <laughs> yes. So it, when I think about it, what I think about is you must have had to make so many decisions. Like, oh my God. Can you like talk about that a little bit? Like just pick some. For those of, those who don't know me as well, I am a person who identifies as non-binary and as transgender. So I am a person who doesn't identify as wholly being a man or a woman, but I am accessing medical transition to affirm parts of myself. I can't speak for everyone who is accessing medical transition experience, but for myself, it has definitely been a process of thinking and both exploring physical and mental and emotional aspects of oneself. And it's like everything in one's life. It's a lot of decision making. It's something that I think there is often the narrative in the media about trans experience that someone can be born in the quote unquote, the wrong body. And as a child that they knew that they were a boy in a girl's body or a girl in a boy's body. And I definitely had the experience of not being totally comfortable as a young person, but I also don't quite identify myself in that experience. So growing up in a time when transness was not really accepted, I'm 30 years old and now living in a time where transness is a lot more talked about in the media, but still not as it's still not captured in the wide diverse way that most identities are and are not per portrayed in the media. That might not be an answer to your question. I think the issue of late identity and labels are really different that identity is within 
and labels are what people put on you. And I'm calling it like that. But but what I mean is that that people a lot of times people to get their head around something they create a label and then there is all this a whole story associated with the story that does not appreciate the diversity of all the people who they put under that label or label themselves definitely yeah unlike some people i have always thought of my gender identity and my sexual orientation as being related and i don't know if that's not as common currently there's a, there seems to be more of a distinction about how people talk about those things but i think historically in the narratives of trans and gender nonconforming people often those those identities and those terms were more fluid and although the language i've used to identify myself along gender and like sexual categories has changed I feel like I've known myself and seen both seen myself reflected and seen other people who share the spaces as me. Like I've been able to identify those from when I was really young. So have, do you feel like this process has been lonely or that you've had a friend, a community, a family to find your way with? I've been very lucky, although I didn't grow up knowing a lot of out queer people, although I came from a very, very liberal, very inclusive and very celebratory family. I feel like I was able to find people who are gender nonconforming and like across the the board and like when I was really young I was in a, a preschool that was run by women who are part of my my parents they joined the spiritual path but they are non-denominational nuns and they had a space where they encouraged self-expression and they didn't have branded or gendered toys and I felt really comfortable there so I always tell my parents it's your fault I turned out like this um, <laughs> But when I entered public school, I was, I was, I had to start wearing, oh, I, I actually, I went to Catholic school right after that. So I had to start wearing a, like a gender, gendered outfit a little more. That was when I started feeling singled out. Although I was, I ended up being the only girl third grader in the, the pantsuit option. But I, throughout my life, I've gravitated to people who were also gender nonconforming. All I was, I've always had a, a dear best friend and those people have all turned out to be queer even before we had the language mm-hmm. for it but people looking for a space that was more expressive and more mm-hmm. playful than a binary and as i got older i was able to pretty early in my late teens and in my college experience find the queer community which in the 2010s early 2010s was a lot of people who were also pushing the binary and exploring places in between those more binary identities. Having community has always been very important for me and for most of my 
20s, I lived in intentional community with other queer people and women artists and having a space where we were able to not only play with identity, but also play with the space around us and carve out somewhere our physical surroundings reflected who we felt we were. That's always been empowering. Yeah. So making the decision to medically transition is, you have to excuse my ignorance, but that is, that, so that's a decision, that's a different kind of decision than who you hang out with and the clothes you wear and the name you, the labels you use. That's a a whole different level. And it seems that it just takes courage to make those kinds of decisions. So can you talk a little bit about what was going on? Like, how did that happen? How did you find professional people to help you? Sure. Well, I think I have been very lucky in terms of accessing gender affirming care and medical care outside of that. And I have been lucky to always been encouraged to advocate for myself. Mm-hmm. And I so know meaning just like with primary care and yeah. you know, that, okay, this is, it wasn't a fight with a primary care person. It was a, a loving, accepting, helpful mm-hmm. person. Yeah. One of the powerful things about being in community is being able to, you can look up through your insurance who who takes your insurance, who provides certain kinds of care, but that mm-hmm. doesn't always mean that they are well-versed in that kind of mm-hmm. care. And having people say, this person has been my primary care physician for 10 years, and this person understands not only... Um, trans-affirming healthcare, but what it means for someone who is non-binary and not just someone who is on a binary path of transition. For a long time, I was afraid if I went to a doctor and said, I'm interested in starting hormones, but I, my identity is not so cut and dry that I would be denied it. And that I've always felt included by other trans and gender non-conforming people, but I know that's not always true about the healthcare industry. And lucky, luckily I'm in a city, I'm in Maryland and Johns Hopkins is here. And we have a lot of other um, centers here in DC that are on the forefront of trans-affirming medicine, trans-affirming like mental health care. So I was able to find someone. I'm not an outlier mm-hmm. for any of, for my therapist, for my psychiatrist, for my PCP or the surgeon I went to for top surgery. They all had language already for the kind of care I was trying to access, which mm-hmm. is not the experience of most trans. No, uh, not. Uh, actually, not the experience most people. Definitely. It's, yeah. I feel like when people um, ask me what I think, what are the two most important things you can do for managing your health. And I say to them, number one, know what you want in life and build it. That's like the, if I had to boil it down, Mm -hmm. it would be those things. I think having a team also made me feel like I 
could trust my own decision because as a person, I feel like my identity has been fairly stable for about a decade. I've used the pronouns they, them, theirs, and um, I have presented pretty similarly for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I had friends who friends who are identified as male and friends who identified as non-binary who were accessing medical transition. And I was looking at them and saying, I'm so happy for them and I'm really jealous. But that's actually messed up of me. What would you what are you jealous about? That they are non-binary? No, at that point I was jealous because I didn't think I was judging myself more harshly than I would judge anyone else in my position. I was saying I'm jealous. And I think anyone should be able to access gender affirming healthcare, except I only want it in not the right way or something. But by going, talking to my different healthcare, the members of my healthcare team and realizing like, I also struggle with depression and anxiety, like probably everyone in my micro generation, probably everyone (laughs) right now, but being able to challenge those aspects of, you know, saying I've worked really hard at these past 10 years on my self-acceptance, my self-love, my understanding of my body and myself and my imposter syndrome. And these feelings are dysphoria. They're not gender dysphoria is in a different category than those self-doubts and and those things I've worked through and this still remains and that Mm -hmm. means that it's an okay thing to to dig deeper with I think this issue of self-love is a big one and I was actually on a call this morning of a community of called forward link that I participate in on different levels Uh, not important here but one of the things that came up was people who are having life challenges, whatever they are. So whether it's this issue of identity, whether it's like me having a progressive chronic illness, whether it was somebody who wanted to who I was talking to, who wanted to have a child with their artificially with their own eggs. And, but this whole issue of getting to the space where the baseline is, I love myself just as I am, that I have my ups and downs. I have my confusions and I have my fears and I have my excitements and everything. But the baseline is I love myself. Actually, I'm having dinner or whatever. I'm I'm meeting a a, a psychiatrist that I used to work with in an organization called Advocates, Inc. They serve like 23,000 people with various disabilities. And one of the things that I just loved about him is that his basis of of treating people who had severe mental illness is that you are fine just as you are. How are you going to live? And oh man, by just, it just, and he was really, I felt like it was so radical and he just built systems, just starting with acceptance and love. And then there were some people that needed medication and wanted medication, but there was that path of 
figuring it out. Just like, how are you going to do it? How are you going to manage? How are you going to deal with your triggers? How are you going to whatever? But starting with that place of let's start with self-love and let's, how are we going to get to that? I just thought, oh my God, I thought I died and gone to heaven working with this guy. So anyway. I really appreciate that. I think there's things like gender and that doesn't exist in a vacuum. That's societal. And I can't claim to know how I would feel or how I would present outside of the world we live in. But I do think that thinking about things like mental health, disability, gender identity, and identities, a lot of the time, the problem, the we're, I'm trying to think of the right way to say it, defined a lot of the time by how you can function in the society we live in now or how you look or your ability according to how you can work or how you can have a specific kind of family. And I, that doesn't mean that people don't experience real challenges and sufferings outside of those frameworks. But I think, and I am an able-bodied person and I'm not a person with a disability, but I have friends on the autism spectrum who are trans and see those things as not separate, like Mm. as having identities and and knowledge and abilities Mm. outside of the norm as a power. Mm. And I know people who are visibly trans who have physical disabilities and are like, of course, there are things with my body that are a struggle, but also if there was universal healthcare or (laughs) if I wasn't expected to have to do these certain physical things. And if it was, if it looked okay to society to live with people who support you without the expectance that you will have to pay them a certain amount, but a non uh, traditional family structure, like there's power in those things. Now a word about our sponsor, Abridge. Use Abridge to record your doctor visit. Push the big pink button and record the conversation. Read the transcript or listen to clips when you get home. Check out the app at abridge.com. A-B-R-I-D-G-E dot com. Or download it on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Record your healthcare conversations. Let me know how it went. So it seems like there's there's just so many levels of challenge here to me. And and one of the things since I know your mom and love your mom and is she's one of my dear friends, I like how was it? Like with your family, your immediate family, your sister, your mother, your father, because they, I don't really know this, so I may be full of shit, but I'll, I'll give it a try. Is it seems to me that there's being open and accepting, and then there's the shift that they have to make because they had an image 
of you. Mm -hmm. And then that, that happens with through the teenage years and adulthood. No matter what, you are not like the eight-year-old person I met or however old. You are not. And you're not the teenager. And there is the there's the the tr there's adjusting in, to transition, all yeah. sorts of transition. Definitely. And I think I told I said this earlier to you off the air, but mm -hmm. I think sometimes when I'm talking, when I work at a library and we've been doing a lot of pride programming, so I have been talking about gender expression and sexual identity in sort of layman's terms. And sometimes I even though it can be a little corny, I like to use the the phrase gender journey, because yeah. for me and for a lot of people I know, it has not been cut and dry and it hasn't been linear. Yeah. So I, for me, I had a couple different coming outs, although I've been very, I'm a very postmodern millennial. And I've always been like, well, I don't think I should have to come out. I don't think it should be assumed that I'm straight. So I'm mad that I have to do this every single time in high school. My parents knew that I was, my parents identified that I was gay. And my mom asked me because I was making art about gay people. And I said, I'm not a lesbian. What I was seeing in the media was not, did not reflect who mm -hmm. I felt like I was, which was mm -hmm. someone who was non-binary, not mm -hmm. exactly a woman who loved women, mm -hmm. but I didn't have the language for that. And it wasn't in the popular media. There wasn't non-binary emojis. I came out as a lesbian. And then a little while later, I came out as non-binary. And then just recently, because I started, I started testosterone about a year ago, I came out again. And I said, I, I told you what non-binary means, but I'm going to be manifesting that a little differently. And because, excuse me, because there's a little bit of a cultural understanding, like I've seen on progressive TV shows and stuff, there there might be a non-binary character who's almost always a young person who's assigned female, who might be a little nerdy, has some colored hair, maybe on the autism spectrum, maybe looks like how I did as a teen, but it's not someone who's necessarily like accessing transition, maybe like a nerdy tomboy mm -hmm. looking person who uses they, them. And I think that it was, there was enough context to understand me that way, but then saying my identity isn't really changing, but the way that I'm expressing it is, and I'm choosing to mm -hmm. access medical transition, it, it meant a little more retooling. And yeah. I've been very lucky, even in my family I think it's it's realistic that someone will have to take some time to process and meet meet a person who's in transition where they're at. And mm -hmm. I think it can be complicated for a person who is in transition to there's a common reaction, which is a little bit of a grief. And yeah. I for the person who's transitioning, and I know that for some people it can be really hard to feel that energy of grief because they're like, I didn't go anywhere. I'm still here, but I know, right. and I'm very lucky to have a very open and loving relationship with my mom, who is a therapist. So we've all a Freudian analyst or a half of Freudian. Analyst. Yes. So there's a lot of fun. She's it's my fault that everything went wrong with you or whatever. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's my fault. Fun Freud games. But I feel like I can be very open with her and mm -hmm. to I recognize when she speaks about grief, it's without judgment. And it's for the person she thought I was. Mm -hmm. And it's not for me or the person 
the maybe not even formed ideas of what a future me could look like. Mm-hmm. And the grief is not a judgment. It's just the reality of letting go. Of those. Yeah. I have to grab the frames that I know just to relate, to empathize. And I know that for me, the seeing my progression is something that I have to grieve <laughs> from time to time. So even though I'm a pathologically optimistic person, mostly during the day, um, I'm not always like that. So, and that all just feels right. Yeah. Like, how not? Yeah. I think I expected something different for myself and it's still a deal. It's still, I think, I think thinking of it as grief is helpful. Yeah, definitely. It doesn't feel, I, again, grief is sad by nature, but it's not a a value judgment necessarily. And I appreciate what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. What words of wisdom do you have for people who are not familiar with transition? You're blessed in that you have family and community. I feel that way. Yeah. And that's great. And oh, I'm just, oh, it just warms my heart. But there's so many people out there who they don't know what the F they're talking about. They have this image and they're afraid they're, they're something. There's just, so the people who are like really out there, like they're angry and they're evil about it, like I'm not talking about them, but people who are trying to appreciate, to understand, to be supportive, but they're lost. Definitely. Well, what do you have, what, what are the thoughts do you have for them? I have a couple of different thoughts. It breaks my heart at this time when I'm finding so much self-acceptance and joy, like real tangible joy, relief, and freedom from being able to access aspects of transition that I hadn't thought possible. It breaks my heart to see trans panic back in the media. If we think about four or five years ago, there is the bathroom panic. It's all back. Yeah. And it's always men and women's restrooms. And and now it's back. A lot of it is we're losing our girls and also men are taking over women's sports. And I think it's interesting and important to look at the dog whistle and the message underneath this, because it's not equal on both sides of the trans experience. It is trans girls. So people who are assigned male and identify as female, trans girls are coming into our girls, which means the Mm -hmm. idea of a a pure, innocent Mm -hmm. and fragile girlhood, a very disempowering girlhood coming. So these men are coming into our girls' sports and are disempowering our girls. And then on the other side, the other issue that I see is people saying our girls who should be like expressing themselves as tomboys and like having these girlhoods are being forced by peer pressure to identify as men. It's saying anyone who is is born and assigned female is weak 
and can't advocate for themselves. Either they're being bullied in sports or they're being forced into medicalization. That's a very conservative, reductive, and hurtful view of women. And it, it's forcing this idea of very conservative and reductive and hurtful view of what boys and men are onto trans women. I just, I think what's really important is to listen to and believe trans people and listen to and believe trans children. There's also a lot of discussion. If people identify as trans earlier in life and then they grow up and they don't identify that way anymore, then they've ruined their bodies. This isn't exactly the same, but people said the same thing to me when I started getting tattoos. And to me, when I look at those, I say, it's not the same as accessing mm -hmm. medical transition, but those are decisions I made at a certain point in my life. And even if it's not the decision I would make now, it's something that is part of me and that I find beautiful. Mm -hmm. And when we were talking earlier about societal expectation if society had room for both trans people gender non-conforming people mm -hmm. and detransitioning people who may have identified one way and then their identity might change and they might identify as the way they did was the way they were assigned at birth there should be room for those experiences and those experiences to be celebrated and just in the same way that we should be able to celebrate people across ability and across sexuality and across identity. Thank you. Any, what should we have talked about that we didn't? I don't know. I think we talked about a lot of stuff. I think if there are things, if there are things that you feel like we haven't talked about and you want to talk about, we can always talk again. Yeah, it's thank you. I appreciate that. There's just so much I don't know. It's one of the joys of life. There's so much I don't know. I know that um, I've been really fortunate myself. Anything you want to ask me? Do you feel like you learned something? Right now? Yeah. Yes. In the last hour? Yes, yes, yes. I think that, like, I feel like this I find this binary, non-binary, pan, queer, I'm not a good labeler yeah. because I feel like the more you get to know people, the more diversity within diversity. Definitely. And so part of me has resists trying to say, I need to learn more about transition. I need to learn more about LBGTQ plus because I feel like what I'm going to learn is like one flavor. Totally. I think, and I think definitions change all the time. And honestly, like I think a lot of language falls short, which is why, and language moves very quickly. And a lot of this language honestly is pretty academicized and, and specific oh, totally. to, to oh micro generations. And I feel that because I'm getting older too. Yeah. But I there's think, 40 words for snow in Iceland. Exactly. <laughs> and although, although there's language I feel more or less identified to, be it gen language about gender or language about anything else, language yeah. about 
my lifestyle or whatever. I think the most important thing is to know someone and to also recognize like someone else could identify with these words and have a very different experience. I'm white and I am upper middle class. I'm college educated. I'm able-bodied. I'm English speaking. I'm um, like, I'm a citizen of the U S these things mean that I do, I would have been able to access the level of care and the level of acceptance I have because of those privileges, not Mm -hmm. because the world has reached a transgender tipping point because when people are, people can say they're pro LGBTQ rights and then enforce border policies that mean that trans women who are immigrants are kept in men's prisons and are sent back to countries where they are not safe. Like that to me does not, it doesn't (sighs) reflect things. So I definitely agree that labels can only go so far I work in a library system that is that's in the DC suburbs and is serves a majority black population and I work with majority black workforce which I've never is not representative of most library systems mm-hmm. and it has been really eye opening in terms of realizing that like people being able to like see their own experience reflected back at them when they go to access like care is yes and huge librarianship is is more social work than yes of like, course yeah that's so important and i know when when i went to nursing school i went to wayne county community college and i was like a quadruple minority i was a man i was young it was mostly women of color who had families, who it was a second career, yeah. who were working otherwise, and which was a great way to learn. Definitely. Made me appreciate health. And they knew about life and I knew how to study. And so we, we yeah. really got along. Totally. I learned a lot about life and I led a study group. And that was really, that was another eye-opening experience. It made me realize how I couldn't just say something about nurses of color mm-hmm. because they were also different. Totally. Oh, I think that's really important. I think, I think something that, that frustrates me about movements, like things like trans acceptance or like the mainstreaming of gay identity is that a lot of it is we're just like you, which means is both othering and flattening. And I think <sighs> the important, I think the queer world is not exactly the same as the straight world. And that's powerful. And I think each person is very different, but you can't understand other people's experience just by reading an article. The way you can is by meeting someone else at a, a personal level. And yeah. that might mean discomfort. But like one thing that I love in my job is that I work with a lot of people who might not know someone else who uses my pronouns. It's really important to me to, I love people and I love laughing with people and meeting Mm -hmm. people and just like the social aspects of the work I do. And so people meet me where I'm at and I've never had a bad, it's Mm -hmm. not that I've never had a bad experience ever, 
but at my job, I've never had a bad experience because people will approach me with the energy that I'm trying to give them, which is like joy mm -hmm. and like openness. And they'll ask mm -hmm. me about myself in a way mm -hmm. of curiosity instead of like cool. fear or judgment or something. So thank you. I really appreciate that we could have this conversation. Yes. Give your mom a hug. Of course. And if there's something, if you're listening back and you're like, there's not enough or do you yeah, want clarification okay. around? Oh. I know it's hard, it was hard to get in touch with me, but if there's something you oh, need supplemental, right. hit you me were up. fine. All right. Thank you, Danny. I hope you have a nice evening. Thank you for uh, staying up late for me. Yes. Likewise. Take care. Be Bye. well. Since I live in the frame of my life and experiences, I thought about my dad often preparing and producing this conversation. Although I'm a child of immigrants, I know little of the experience of being an immigrant. Although my dad was a deep-in-the-closet gay man, and many of my relatives are LGBTQ+, I know little about their life or about transitioning. I do know my dad loved my mom and loved his kids. I don't know that he loved himself. He had the solid forever support of his brother. But I'm haunted that he had to hide all his life. Was he tormented in constant stress? Perhaps it contributed to his early death. Talking with O, I felt relieved that torment and hiding weren't part of their experience. I'm proud of them and their family and honored to be part of their extended family. I'm grateful for the trust at the heart of this chat. I hope you feel it too. I wonder if my dad's experience would have been different these 45 years later. I hope so. Then again, perhaps I wouldn't be here. Thanks to Kayla Nelson, web and social media coach, and Joey Van Leeuwen, musician and arranger. See the show notes, previous podcasts, and other resources through my website, www.health-hats.com. Please subscribe and contribute. If you like it, share it. Thanks. See you around the block.